Good morning, everyone. So good to see you today. Can we pray together before we open the Word? Lord, I just feel the need to ask for your strength today. Strength to open your Word and to convey the message that you want all of us to hear today. And I know my weakness. I know my inability. I know that apart from you, I can do nothing. And so I ask God for your spirit to be present here. I know you're here everywhere, all the time you're with us. But oh God, we desire the earnestness of your blessing on this time together. So meet us here, God, in a special way. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn into my Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to begin in verse 16. We kind of left off in the middle of this last week. Would you stand with me as we read and finish this portion of Scripture? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, And the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. 
and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who was able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Could be seated. I wonder what the parents of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah told them in the moments before they were hauled off to Babylon. You wonder what that conversation was like? Because remember, these youth were a part of really just a Babylonian draft. Okay? They were chosen among the nation, young men who showed the greatest appeal, at least physically speaking, for serving the Babylonian regime. And they took them while they were still young, right? just teenagers, still moldable. You know, you just don't know how much time you'll have with your kids. There's a promise that I often hear, and I, I've caught myself saying it. And I, I get it. I get the reassurance of wanting to say this. I get the loving intention in it. But the promise that you say to your kids, you know what, I'll always be there, right? Don't worry, I'll always be there for you, right? Now, if we say that, we, you know, we really better be clear about what we mean, right? Because I think what we mean is this. As long as I'm able... I will help and I will support and I will love you. And in that way, I'll always be there. But what we cannot say, and I hope what we never really convey, is this, that I'll always be present with you. Because you won't. Because you can't. You cannot always be there. And by the way, it's not just this way between parents and children, but... Between any human relationship, from a friend to a friend, from a spouse to a spouse. And there are some promises that are just not yours or mine to give. Perhaps one of the worst things you can say to your kids or to someone is that you'll always be present. Right? The reality is you won't. The parents of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah would not be going with them. And by the way, neither could these three men always live in the shadows of a great young man like Daniel. Well, what's the greatest thing then that you could tell your children, or really tell anybody, when they're preparing to face life without you? Now, what we see depicted here vividly in the latter half of Daniel 3 is life without that external support. It's gone, right? It's the Israelites staring down the giants in the promised land, and they are without Moses. He's dead. Right. It's the disciples being sent, as Jesus said, as lambs in the midst of wolves. And yet Jesus is about to ascend, and like physically speaking, He's leaving. 
But there's a common word in all these scenes and many others besides throughout the Scriptures. And it's the same word that's left to you and me today. And I don't want to just drive by it today. You know how... I don't know if you ever do this, but you're kind of like a drive-by sightseer, and as you're driving, you just kind of look, and, oh, just look at that over there, and it's gone, right? We kind of do that with the Scripture, right? You just kind of see it, and you don't get a chance to really pause and look what's there. And that's just a rather simple truth that I just don't want to miss today. Well, last week, we left off hearing the conviction, right, of these three men. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their real names. Or as the Babylonians called them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had quietly refused to participate in the state-sponsored worship service. Remember that Nebuchadnezzar set up. And so consequently, they were brought before the king and offered a second chance. All right, here's your opportunity. When the music starts, just fall down and worship. But before that cacophony of music could start up, they already had their reply, right? Nebuchadnezzar had asked a rather revealing question. Hey, who's the God who can deliver you out of my hands? And so their response, as we read in verse 16, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I want you to remember something, okay? It's, by the way, this is one of the greatest statements of faith that you will find in the Scripture. But it was a statement of faith, okay? When he said these words, they didn't know the rest of the story. Okay? God didn't give them a sneak peek about what was going to happen or what he was going to do. This is real. Now, they had no doubt that God was able to save them. They understood the power of God, and they proclaimed it in their reply to the king. But they also understood that it was God and not any man who was ultimately the sovereign. He did not have to save them. And they were prepared to glorify God in his salvation or by their death. They did not presume then to speak for God. Right? We're not going to pretend that we're in charge, okay? but one thing we can do, one thing we can speak to is this. We will not worship your image. Or if I can put that another way, our banner is clear, and let it be known what our colors are. This heart belongs to God. All right. Now, picking up in verse 19, that Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. I get this. He's already livid. Now he's filled with fury and it says, and the expression of his face was changed against these guys. So, by the way, whenever you take a stand against an idol, okay, that's around you, that's confronting you, expect the fury of their threats to follow your stand. The firm resistance to Nebuchadnezzar's will not only made him irate, Right, His facial expression was changed. He began making faces at these guys. His countenance was altered. By the way, he was out of control. Right, He orders the furnace heated seven times stronger than its normal temperature, which is actually not what you would want to do if you really wanted to make these guys suffer. Right, If you wanted to make them suffer, you would turn the temperature down. 
right? So they burn slowly. But he's out of control. He's not thinking right. Nebuchadnezzar is the fool that, according to Proverbs, gives full vent to his spirit. Uncontrolled anger never acts sanely. I mean, think about it. Out of hundreds, perhaps thousands that were gathered there, he is enraged by three, right? Just three guys who didn't comply. But that's how his egomaniac is. They can't stand it when even one doesn't conform. And by the way, these aren't just any guys, any guys in his kingdom. These are the best servants of his kingdom, because I'll tell you what, they were first loyal to God, and that makes for the best human servants, those who are first loyal to God. So these are the best of his kingdom, and he's prepared to throw them in a burning, fiery furnace. So he orders that his soldiers tie them up, right? And they're still all arrayed in all their festal clothing, right? They got their robes on, their tunics, their hats, and they're getting prepared to be thrown into the furnace. And by the way, the furnace was probably situated on a small mound. And in picture, it was probably something like a, one of those old-fashioned milk bottles, you know, a little rounder at the bottom, chimney up at the top. But anyway, it was accessible at the top and accessible through the side. They would throw the ore in through the top, and then from the sides, they'd put your wood or your charcoal and heat that flame, pump the bellows, stoke the heat. But obviously, there was an opening in which you could see into that furnace. Now, here's the irony of the king's order, right? He orders for these guys to be killed, but he can't even keep his own men alive. All right, verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, some think it was around 1,500 to 1,800 degrees Celsius. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the ones who obeyed the king, get this, are killed. And the ones who refused to obey him are the ones who emerge alive. Does that not tell you how powerless we truly are? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar may have held the match, but... God controlled the flame. And the Bible, the fire, if you think of the, the image, the symbol of fire, it's pictured in two very different ways. Okay? And the first thing that you see when you come to the Word of God is that fire is often a picture of judgment. Remember fire that rained down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis 19. Or a few of us guys read the other day that the earth is presently being stored up for fire. Right? And on the day of God, the day of the Lord, the elements, everything we see will be dissolved, will burn. Or take this, the final punishment of the ungodly, according to Revelation 20 and 21, is a lake that burns with fire. It's a picture of judgment. Well, is that what's happening here? Was that what happened to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego? Is it a judgment by fire? Well, Nebuchadnezzar thought so. He thought himself to be in the seat of judgment. And he was the giver or taker of life. But then something strange happened, didn't it? Verse 24. And King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, True, okay. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. 
And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So rather than watching these men be immediately consumed, the king jumps to his feet and he is astounded. right? Because several things are not adding up here. Okay. First of all, they went in three, and now there's four. Okay. Second, they went in bound. We don't know what they were bound with. Maybe chains. Maybe they were tied together. But now they're loosed. And third, they should be on the ground, engulfed in the flames, rolling around. But instead, they're walking about freely without any hint of pain. They're not hurt. And what's really thrown him off is the appearance of this fourth man, right? Because he says, he's not like the others. This one is like a son of the gods. Now, here's something interesting. The same fire that killed the king's soldiers had no effect on the servants of God. Because you see that fire is not only a picture of judgment in the Word of God, but right, for the ungodly, fire does mean destruction. Like it did for those men. God did not bring them through it. But for the child of God, fire means something else. It's a picture of refinement. Fire is a picture of refinement. Peter may have been alluding to Daniel when he wrote, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, here it is, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have to choose between a golden image and an overheated furnace. But whenever and wherever there is a rivalry between God and an idol, it can sure feel like standing strong means you're going to have to stare down a blazing fire. And I'll tell you what, many Christians have been torched, literally, for their faith. There was no angel who came down. But I'll tell you also this, it did not consume them. Say, what do you mean? Well, and neither will the many other kinds of fires. There are many kinds of fires that come upon you, but they will not ultimately destroy you. Jesus said in Matthew 10, I want to read this, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. And we tend to forget that we are not just flesh, because we invest so much of ourselves into this body. We forget that we also have a spiritual side, a soul. But Jesus said, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And I tell you what, that's the reality we face every time we come to a funeral, right? The person in that casket or that urn is not actually there. That's just a folded up tent. And for those who are in Jesus Christ, then death, this last enemy, it has no power over them beyond that destruction of the body. More to be feared, Jesus said, is the destruction of your souls. Actually, Jesus indicates that it's the soul and body that God has a say with. 
and even the unbelieving will be raised to life and then cast body and soul into hell. There's the story of the little girl who was being pestered by a bee, right? And it kept buzzing all around her head, and the mother, seeing the child, was in fear. She came and caught the bee in her hands, right? And she held it there for some time. And then she let it go. And the bee started buzzing around the little girl again. And she said, Mom, Mom, why did you let it go, right? Well, her mother replied, Listen, the bee's not going to harm you anymore. I took its sting, right? All it can do now is make a bunch of noise. Now, do you understand the power of Jesus' resurrection? Jesus took the sting, right, out of death. And all that death is doing is just making a lot of buzzing noise around you. But it can't ultimately hurt you. So notice this. God did not so much save them from the flames through them. That's different. And what a picture it is, right? In the middle of the blazing fire, God was right there with them. God could have intervened beforehand, right? Before they fell into it, right? Could have come down and stopped them and prevented them from ever getting into that furnace. But maybe God just wanted Nebuchadnezzar to know and the rest of us to know that He intends to see us through it. Through the ordeal. Through the loss, through the depression, through the drought, through the mistreatment, through it all. We don't know the identity of the fourth man. Was it the angel of the Lord? Was it Christ before He became a man? Well, listen, it doesn't matter. The heavenly companion was with them. He was with them. Hey, what was the promise that God gave to Joshua and the Israelites after Moses was gone? You remember this? No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Because just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And what did God promise the Israelites through Isaiah the prophet about their future exile? I love this one, right? Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Are you listening? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And what did Jesus promise His disciples, and therefore you and I, before he physically prepared to leave them, right? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, who is Jesus Christ, by the way? Is he not God with you? That's his name, right? Emmanuel, he is God with you. The greatest thing that you can tell your kids is not that you'll always be with them. That's not a promise you can keep. The greatest thing you can tell them, or anybody for that matter, is this. Trust in Jesus Christ. He is God with you now and forever. Look at Psalm 66. I think it says it all. Turn in your Bible. Psalm 66. You'll love this. 
Psalm 66, beginning in verse 10. He writes, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Now listen now. You, God, brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Who brought them into the net? God did. Who put a crushing burden on their backs? God did. Who let men ride over them? God did. But who brought them out? Who saw them through? God did. Lord knows what he's doing. And look at the conclusion of this story, right? Beginning with verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And they come out, right? And, and then all these others, all these officials who are here, are just, you know, they gather around and they're looking at them. And it says, the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. And look at the detail, right? The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And get this, not even the smell of fire had come upon them. I can't even make a fire without stinking like it, right? And these guys were in 1,800 degrees, and they come out not even smelling like fire. The deliverance was beyond anything anyone had ever seen. No explanation, right? So verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. And then they get a raise. How about that? So one minute you're being executed for disobeying the king. And the next minute, you're being promoted by the same guy to an even better position. The chapter begins with this decree. Death to anyone who fails to worship this image. Right? And it ends with another. Death to anyone who speaks against this God. Now, how does that happen? (laughs) It's God. He is God with you. But you look at Nebuchadnezzar here, and the truth is, you know what? You can, mirac- you can witness the miraculous and be nothing more than impressed. That's as far as it came with Nebuchadnezzar. Right? He was impressed with the faithfulness of these three Hebrews. He was impressed with the feat of deliverance. Wow, I've never seen anything like that. But God to him was still just the God of who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He's still their God. He's not mine. And there are a lot of people impressed with Jesus, right? Impressed with his compassion. I'm impressed with his love. But the work of God the Son is not to make us impressed. It's to cause us to repent, right? And believe in him. That we might enjoy his presence, right? The fellowship of his sufferings. Even, or should I say, especially through the fire. There's something about that companionship. When you are suffering for him, you know him even more. And then from then on, forevermore, forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, thank you to see 
such a mighty deliverance. And as surely as you were there with them, you are here with us. If we could hear today the testimonies of one another, oh, how it would strengthen us, Lord, to know how you have brought us through fiery ordeals. You are faithful. You're good. Lord, may we then go from here trusting in no one else and in nothing else except you and your saving power. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.